Welcome to Things Musicians Don't Talk About with me, Hattie Butterworth. I am a cellist and writer recently graduated from the Royal College of Music in London. I'm on a journey to change the way musicians see vulnerability. In the classical music profession, it can often feel very difficult to talk about issues that affect us personally, such as mental health, injury, financial issues, race, gender and class, to name but a few. I believe that through connecting with other musicians about these issues, we can bring humanity into our music, understanding how ultimately the darkness we face makes us who we are and that we are not alone. Join me in guests as we have honest conversations about the things musicians don't talk about. Hi everyone, welcome back. Thank you so much for tuning in again. Today I am talking to George Dexter Evans, who is a composer and guitarist who has is in his final year of study at the Guildhall School of Music and Drama. We're going to talk about chronic fatigue syndrome, which is something George has suffered with now for many years. And we're also going to talk about autism and George's journey to discovering that he was autistic and how he's come to peace with that and how he manages it as well. Um, I just want to say gracious me I am enjoying this so much at the moment I'm really enjoying connecting with you um ah I can barely speak today to be honest with you (laughs) I'm just like really really tired um I've had a couple of like super early mornings for different reasons so I'm just a little bit like whacked but still incredibly happy and looking forward to sharing more and more and I'm doing quite a lot of interviews at the moment so hopefully the schedule should be a bit more regular than it has been so that's exciting and yeah continue to share continue to keep in touch um I love hearing from everybody and yeah please do enjoy this episode with George um what I remember it's actually a little while ago now that we recorded this but I just remember feeling really like fascinated by him and really engaged with what he was saying and the way he was saying it so I'm sure you'll get a lot from it as well. The following clip is a short excerpt from Expanses by George Dexter Evans. George thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. Yeah you're so welcome. Um, I would just love for us to start with you sort of introducing yourself to the podcast sort of who you are and your musical background and what you're up to at the moment as well. Yeah sure Um, it's a bit complicated (laughs) 
So um, I... <laughs> I'll, I'll try and sum it up as best I can. So currently I'm a fourth year uh, composition student at Guildhall, um, graduating this year. As far as my kind of larger musical background, I'm also a, a guitarist, uh, a producer, um, and I'm sort of moving into media composition as well. And uh, more recently, I'm sort of attempting to sing and sort of uh, recording my own songs as well. So it's a bit complicated. Mm. How was your sort of musical upbringing when you were a child? Is it quite sort of typical or? I'm not sure. So, I mean, both my parents were musicians, mm. um, but they were sort of, they weren't musicians by the time I was born, if that makes sense. It was sort, yeah. of, sort of something they'd done earlier. Uh, so there were there were instruments in the house. My dad had um, a couple of guitars in the house, and we had a keyboard and that kind of thing. So um, I asked to learn the guitar when I was about seven years old. I think probably in the, with, I wanted uh, to learn electric guitar, and was um, instead giving classical guitar lessons. So maybe mm. not quite what I had in mind. So that was my first introduction um, uh, to having music lessons, and I did that for about a year and a half. You know, I think I did all right at it, but maybe it wasn't really what I wanted to to do. Um, So that didn't last for a very long time. And then um, I picked it up again. I started the electric guitar when I was about 12 or 13. Mm. And then that was kind of when I was obsessed from from there on, you know, um, and decided, you know, I wanted to do music for a a career. And then so I did that through my teens. And I was studying on uh, an electric guitar course uh, when I was about 17 or 18. Uh, And that was the year I got tendonitis. uh, which was pretty rough. Um, mm. And then, yeah, it's quite a convoluted story. The, the short version is from there I started composing and then um, some years later applied to, to Guildhall and started as a, um, a kind of mature student when I was about 22. So. Oh, wow. Okay. So yeah. for those years between sort of 18 and 22, were you mostly focusing on composition and getting up a sort of portfolio or... Yeah, I started um, piano lessons when I was about 19. Oh, right. Wow. Um, and I mean, I could sort of read music. I'd done a bit of um, theory stuff and more academic stuff for GCSE. Um, but then even that was interrupted as well because of the chronic fatigue syndrome. So I never finished secondary school. Oh, um, right. So. Um, well, we could, yeah, we can go yeah. on to talk more about that. But that is just amazing how sort of you came to it so much later. I mean, we probably can go on to talk about tendonitis as well, because mm. that is something that so many people are dealing with either at the moment or have, musicians have. And I mean, is is that the one thing that sort of spurred you towards comp- composition? I think so. And maybe slightly reluctantly as well. Right. Um, um, and I, it's funny, I play more guitar now than I have for a very long time. It's sort of, it's taken this long to, to get over mm. it because it, it really tended to like a chronic pain problem. Um, but I've been able to do more playing over the last couple of years, although now I'm busy with the degree. I don't have uh, yeah. the, time, the time I did as a teenager to practice all day. Um, wow. Um, yeah. That's brilliant. Well, in our initial kind of conversation, you said you'd like to base the conversation around your experiences with both autism and chronic fatigue syndrome. And yeah. I'm wondering if we could start by talking about chronic fatigue syndrome and you know, when did you realise you had a problem and when were you diagnosed with it? Sure. Um, very long time ago now. I, I was about nine or ten years old. Um, I had a long uh, illness that took me off school for about three to four weeks. Um, 
and it was sort of something resembling glandular fever, but then I had a blood test and it was negative, but then I don't know. Um, apparently you can have it and then the test comes back negative, but whatever. And that's sort of the classic way people get chronic fatigue is from glandular fever. Um, but where it was slightly less typical is it came on very gradually over sort of a few years. Mm. Um, whereas a, a more typical case is, you know, people are sort of in their teens or their twenties or well, any age actually really. Um, and then, you know, previously they were very hardworking, athletic, and then they get knocked out by this illness. Um, and, you know, suddenly they, they can't function nearly as well as they used to. Well, and of course, we're hearing a lot more about this because this is what long COVID is effectively. Mm. Um, it completely sort of, uh, I don't know if it's the same thing, but it's, you know, a similar sort of onset. Um, yeah, so sort of by secondary school, um, 12 or 13, I was having real... Uh, problems functioning in the day just from exhaustion and um, my attendance was terrible you know usually I was missing at least one day a week mm. um, uh, but I was it sort of went undetected because I was a fairly good student so this would sort of get raised as a, a problem that I couldn't keep up with homework or um, or I wasn't coming in very often but they would look at my grades and go well you seem to be kind of doing okay and then finally sort of when I was 15 um, I was so behind on the coursework I sort of got called in and said oh you're gonna have to repeat the year um, and it, that happened rather um, suddenly um, because you know the fatigue was still getting worse and I just couldn't concentrate um, so can you explain to people I mean I think people probably understand just from the term chronic fatigue syndrome what it might entail but can you explain for you what does what does it feel like what did it feel like and how does it inhibit your day-to-day life back then the term chronic fatigue is sort of problematic and it's gone through a lot of different names but I think the problem with chronic fatigue is it doesn't convey how multifaceted the illness is. And also it sounds, it sounds kind of milder than it is. Um, yeah. I, I sometimes prefer to use the term exhaustion because I think that's a clearer representation. But um, there's, there's physical fatigue, there's difficulty sleeping, there's sort of general um, problems with muscle pain that overlaps with fibromyalgia at, at the time. Maybe people are familiar with. Mm. Um, there's the t- this term people use called brain fog. Um, just, which I'm dealing with a lot today, actually. Um, uh, sort of just difficulty concentrating, difficulty getting the words out and thinking clearly, mm. um, which is, you know, um, ha- has such a huge impact on day-to-day functioning, um, and especially in, in school, as you can imagine. Um, yeah. And then um, alongside that, I had really bad sleep difficulties, which only was sort of treated um, a couple of years ago now. And so this is a whole other separate thing. God, it's quite complicated, this. Um, no, it's I, um, all right. Well, I was finally able to sleep something on the NHS, and I had to do a sleep diary. And they said um, I was diagnosed with something called non-24-hour sleep weight disorder, which I had heard of before, but sort of ruled out as having it because it's so uncommon. Um, but that's basically where you don't have a um, your circadian rhythm, which determines when you when you uh, when you fall asleep and when you're awake. Uh, was longer than 24 hours, so I had this sleep pattern for many years where um, I would sort of fall asleep 20, 30 minutes later every night. And then, so if you do that for two weeks, then two weeks time you're functioning uh, nocturnally. Um, and so, you know, this is a nightmare for any kind of. Uh, day-to-day routine you know mm. um being able to attend school or have a job um 
Uh, but yeah, I was given medication to treat that and luckily it's been a lot better since then. But that was a problem for many years. So I was chronically sleep deprived for a very long time. Um, wow. So that in, in kind of combination with chronic fatigue sort of makes, I don't know, I suppose they probably feed each other to make everything feel very difficult to function. Yeah, yeah. yeah I mean, can you talk about sort of the impact it had then I mean we talked about that period between sort of 18 and 22 where most people are going off to uni and things um how did it impact you in that time um well it's extremely isolating mm. um which is I mean it's a factor of any chronic illness um but uh, yeah it was a I mean it was a very very difficult time I had no kind of clear direction for the future um because I, you know, I I'd left um, school. I'd done this one-year degree course, which hadn't really gone anywhere. Although that ended up being useful because it gave me the uh, the accreditation I needed to get to go to Guildhall later on. So it was useful. Oh, um, right. <laughs> so yeah, that was good in the end. Um, yeah, I guess it was a period of three years. I was sort of, you know, I had a piano lesson once a week and a counselling session, and the rest of the time I was sort of just, you know, uh, spare time, and I was. Um, sort of teaching myself to compose a little bit um, and listening to a lot of music and trying to, you know, but I don't know, the sort of, I don't remember much of that time because I don't think much really happened. Mm. Um, and then uh, when I was accepted to, to Guildhall, sort of life uh, started up again, you know, I mean, it was a huge juxtaposition uh, from completely empty timetable um, to suddenly being on a degree, degree course. So, Yeah, and, and about you know, dealing with chronic fatigue whilst on a degree course. Do you feel mm. like it is something, I mean, most, I don't know, I suppose it's probably different for a lot of people. I, I've heard of people with chronic fatigue who it gets better over time or people yeah. where it really doesn't. And what's your experience with that sort of through your degree at Guildhall? How have you been managing it? How has it felt in comparison to when you first dealt with it? It's, it's not any better, but I think I've built up more mental resilience right which is maybe not the most positive answer but um I mean, it goes in phases um it's better for a few weeks and then there'll be a crash that's quite typical mm. um so you know i had a wonderfully creative month i read a lot of music um throughout february and um i mean which was wonderful and then over the last week um also it's been really bad again you know i'm falling behind on, on work mm. and you know typically things start to improve just in time <laughs> when there's a deadline or something. Um, so it's not ideal. You know, it's hard to um, plan, th- plan anything out because it's so random. Yeah. yeah, it strikes me how similar it might be to, you know, a mental health issue, yes, like long-term, yeah. like depression or something. I mean, does that at all come into it? Or do you feel, or is it a very separate thing? Um, it's definitely been um, something I've struggled with um, for a long time. And it's tricky because the onset for depression was quite similar to the time of the chronic fatigue. Mm. Um, there's a kind of chicken and egg situation where you're sort of going, well, anyone chronically exhausted and struggling would probably get depressed. You know, yeah. it's hard to deal with. Yeah, it's it's difficult. I'm sort of, I'm wary of drawing a comparison because there are yes. sceptics who say that chronic fatigue is nothing but, you know, depression. And it's a whole, and, you know, I don't want to get into that can of worms. Yeah, <laughs> but, completely. Um, yeah. Um, <laughs> I'm aware of that, yeah. And I, I suppose that is something that's so frustrating for people that, that suffer with it, is 
it can take so, so long for anyone to be taken seriously or to be diagnosed. Yeah. yeah. But what was your experience with that? Have you had a formal diagnosis for I it? Did, but it never felt very um, watertight because I sort of went to my GP and I, you know, I was fairly young at the time and said I think mm. I've got chronic fatigue syndrome. And he said, well, yeah, probably, <laughs> you know, um, <laughs> there's no, the only thing they can do is give you a, a blood test and rule anything else out. You know, they check your thyroid and they check if you're mm. anemic and all that kind of thing. Um, and if everything else is negative then, and you're very tired, then you'll probably be told you've got C, uh, CFS. So, um, so right. I mean, I was, I was lucky in not facing any kind of skepticism from, um, well, from medical staff anyway, um, from other people in my life. I mean, quite a lot. And it's another reason it's such an isolating condition mm. um, because it's very hard to um, get across the problem to other people. Yeah. Um, and I mean, have you connected with anyone else with it? Do you know anybody else with it that you've managed to sort of talk to or connect with? Yeah, now and then. Um, it's surprisingly common as well, mm. uh, you know, for something that's considered a rare <laughs> illness. I've, I've met quite a few people who have it. Um, but, you know, the fu- well, the funny thing is when I do meet someone else who has it, I, it's, you know, it's the last thing I want to talk about. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, no, it's useful to know that... Um, you know, I'm far from the only person um, dealing with it. So. In terms of kind of chronic pain with chronic fatigue syndrome and how mm. that, how does that manifest generally um, for you? I'm, I'm lucky and that's not such a severe problem for me. It's, mm. it's um, one of the problems with chronic fatigue is you're encouraged to exercise more, but also that's kind of <sighs> chronic fatigue is an intolerance to exercising. <laughs> Yeah. And you have to you have to find this balance of like okay I have to leave the house sometimes but I have to go kind of I can't go right at the limit of what I can do because then I'll crash the next day. Um, so if I go for a long walk or whatever, then you know I will wake up in pain, aching the next day. Mm. But I have to sort of weigh that up against needing to have some exercise. Um, That's so interesting because I'm really curious. How do you find is best for you to cope with it now? And alongside your degree, how have you coped with the, this feeling of, and you know, knowing that you might have a few weeks down, you know, very, very exhausted, mm. and then maybe a few weeks that are all right. I mean, have you had to talk to your uni about about that? I have, yeah, and I'm I'm lucky they've been very understanding mm. and very generous with um with giving extensions to, to projects if I need them. But you know, beyond that, people actually, um, well, particularly at university, have been very accommodating. But I'm sort of scratching my head going, I'm not sure if there's anything that can be can be done. Um, mm. You know, uh, there's nothing that can be done that will physically change the illness. So that's the root of the, the problem. Um, I mean, uh, something that's quite slightly uncomfortable to talk about is I've really um, lucked out slightly with having online classes this year because I was able to live further away. I was living in student accommodation um, for three years, which was kind of not ideal living in central London um, mm-hmm. in a very, very loud environment, uh, well, particularly with autism, which we can talk about later. Mm. Um, well, I don't want to make light of, um, of how difficult this year has been, but... Um, yeah, for you uh, personally, it's... Yeah. Um, yeah. It was hard to explain sometimes that I lived five minutes from the, from the building and, you know, I was too tired to, to walk, <laughs> you know, to get up and, and come in sometimes. Mm. Um, and, well, oftentimes that would that would be enough motivation to kind of just go, oh, I'm just going to have to, to get dressed and go to this class for an hour and then, you know, come back and, and collapse again. 
because yeah. it was just too awkward to sort of, <laughs> um, it was easier to go through the class than to have to explain, you know, and to, to risk yes. being disbelieved. <laughs> Completely understand that one. And yeah. I think, you know, you, you sound sort of wary of saying, you know, I've found online classes easier this year. But I think that's something that's okay to say. And like, I think you're not the only person probably that feels that, especially people that suffer with, I don't know, any kind of social anxiety mm. or, yeah. you know, there, I think there is a big camp of people where this has been a real relief. And this has yeah. meant, yeah. you know, in some ways you felt less isolated in terms of what you can do for your course. Because I've I've had periods of time when I was at the college where I had you know, long periods of time where I didn't attend lessons. And I think if it happened now, if my mental health was really bad now during the mm -hmm. pandemic, I think I would feel much less ashamed because it is easier to sort of hop on a call mm -hmm. in the comfort of your house, you know, where you can cope with things and you have a, you can have your own timetable, everything's within your control as to how exhausted you get or, <laughs> yeah. you know, I suppose. Yeah. And I think that's something that I don't know if, you know, this, this way of learning can be at all transferred when things go back to normal for some people. Because yeah, <laughs> yeah. how, how I totally have found it a relief in a lot of ways. The other topic that we were going to discuss, which I really love to hear your experience about, is autism and how autism has impacted your life. How, you know, how did this come about, as in how did you realise or how did your family realise that this was a problem for you? Did that happen very early on? No. Um, OK. This is why it's kind of weird. I wasn't diagnosed until I was 25, which was two years ago. Um, oh, wow. But I, I, I knew, <laughs> like, for a long time. Yeah. But I couldn't tell anyone because I didn't have the diagnosis. Um well, you know, I didn't know, but I was like 90% sure because I related to every single thing I read about mm. um, Asperger's syndrome or um, it goes under all these different names now. So I used to say Asperger's syndrome, but that's no longer, um, that term has been phased out and now people say autism spectrum disorder or uh, whatever. But I, I mean, formally, it probably would have been a diagnosis of Asperger's syndrome. Um, yeah. Okay, so what was it that you related so strongly to in, you know, other people's experience of autism or the sort of criteria for a diagnosis? It's quite weird, actually. I took me back a long time. I read the book, uh, The Curious Incident of the Dog in the Nighttime. I don't mm. know if, of course, later adapted into a play, um, which I, I never saw, but um, I read that when I was about 11 or 12. And um, even though that's about someone who's much more severely affected, I related to a lot of what he was saying. Um, and particularly in relation to interacting with other people. Um, so that was sort of the first thing. I don't know, I, I just, and then I gradually sort of researched it online um, over a period of, of years and just kind of, you know, because I, I knew I was having difficulties socially, particularly as a, a teenager, mm -hmm. and was always being told you're awkward or, you know, whatever, and just having trouble reading situations and just finding any interaction with maybe more than two, or two people really, really exhausting. If you have autism, you can learn to socialize incredibly well. That's important to note. But it, you have to do it all consciously. It's all kind of worked out and planned. Um, and, you know, this is the, the problem. It's mm -hmm. there's, there's not the same level of intuition that, that neurotypical people have. Um, the, the other facet of this is the sort of um, sensory overload. So I've always, it's 
bizarre I became a musician because I'm incredibly sensitive to, to sound and any kind of loud noise. And so school was a, a nightmare because you, of course there's a sound of a lot of people, but also the sound of the, the bell ringing and teachers mm. shouting or whatever. And, um, you know, I do remember thinking at the time, God, does everybody else find this as difficult as I do? I'm just sort of, you know, filled with anxiety all day from the, from the noise and the number of people. It's so overwhelming. Wow. Yeah. And this is so interesting. I, I can't tell you how <laughs> interested I am in all of this. My goodness me. Um, You're making some kind of sense. <laughs> no, you are. You're so engaging with it. So I'm just like, I really want to like ask a question. <laughs> the thing that kind of we take for granted, perhaps, is this ability to be yourself in a social situation mm. that I think autistic people and people with Asperger's, I think that's something, yeah, you have to learn. You always, it sounds like it has to be something that's acted yeah, yeah. and planned ahead and everything. And I mean, have you felt since you've been diagnosed that you can let go more or do you still feel like social interaction feels like you've had, uh, just had to act it always, so that's what you're going to do? That's a really good question. I, I feel a little more comfortable in myself, but that's, I think that's less how I'm behaving and more, and more, uh, and more forgiving, you know, okay. and um, I can look back over all the past <laughs> awkward interactions and, you know, times I've offended people by being too honest or whatever and go, okay, you didn't know. So, well, uh, autistic people tend to use the term masking to describe sort of hiding um, aspects of, of autism and, you know, blending in or whatever. And those behaviours have become so deeply ingrained. I'm kind of consciously trying to, to, um, to tone them down now and be more accepting. But, um, you know, this, if, it's, if they're behaviours that have been learned since childhood, um, mm. because, you know, you, you behave in a certain way and then you get a negative reaction and you go, oh, I can't do that again. And of course, that's normal for everybody. Yeah, I don't know. Such it's a, um, more intense. Yeah, it's way yeah. more intense. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, I can't, I can't compare to anyone else, but... Um, yeah, it, it is difficult. And, you know, I've, everybody has to draw a line, I think, somewhere between how honest they are. Yeah, you realise kind of where, how the filter has to be there, because if you were fully yourself, you would probably say things that you know are not appropriate for a certain situations or yeah, whatever. Yeah. yeah. So with all, with your autism diagnosis, was this something you found a formal diagnosis for as well or mm. something you've just sort of decided well, you are <laughs> no um sort of i i saw a psychiatrist in 2019 so um, in 2018 i um i had to take a year out um and i kind of used the year to <laughs> um uh, to focus on my health um so part of that was seeing a psychiatrist and sort of retrying different medications um mm. found a psychiatrist who specialized in autism and then had the first appointment and decided I would not bring this up because you know I didn't want to I wanted to see if he would mention it based on what I told him which he did after about three minutes right. I, said, <laughs> I, said, I said have you ever thought about autism certain disorder and I said well yes as a matter of fact um and he said very bluntly and uh I still actually laugh when I think about this he said well you know I meet quite a lot of people on the spectrum and when I met you in the waiting room I kind of assumed that's why you were here um, All right. So I was like, "Oh, thank you." <laughs> um, was it that so, obvious? Like, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I guess my my body language must have been really off that day, or I think you know, I, he just I think, too, uh, too good at his job, probably. <laughs> yeah, I think I, he had been really late to start the appointment. I was sort of engrossed in reading a book or something, and mm. maybe I was caught off guard when he, he said 
hello, whatever, I don't know. But, and yeah, so I got kind of his opinion, but to get a formal diagnosis is very expensive and, and time consuming. And yeah, then they'll, they'll oh, I see. a whole day of in-depth questions about your childhood and kind of preferably with a uh. parent, parent there. To, and um, I just decided, well, he seems very certain and I'm very certain and it's a lot of money and I kind of don't need it for anything. Yeah. I sort yeah. of said, this is good enough for me. Um, yeah if you feel like you've been understood by someone taken seriously by someone for your experience yeah. and you now have a name for it and yeah. just, and it makes total sense with you then yeah, yeah. I, I understand why you would you wouldn't pay the money especially like I mean one of my questions was about you know being very I mean autistic people having this kind of what's the word portrayal as being very obsessive or having very specific mm. and intense interests and is this something that you have experienced in your past yeah definitely it, you know it's not true of everyone in the spectrum but it's um it's definitely something that's um yeah quite a quite a part of autism um for me that's always been some aspect of music mm. um and it's probably why I got tendonitis because I, you know, I just wanted to play guitar all day and it was just nothing, that single-mindedness, you know, you can really um, become a high achiever in a certain field. But the, the downside of that is you're kind of closed off to everything else and it can become quite um, one-dimensional. You know, I had no other interests apart from the guitar for mm. a long time. And, and that also causes uh, problems socially because you have nothing to talk about. Yeah. <laughs> But, I see. Yeah, but... It's something that can sort of be, when it's at its best, it's something that can kind of be tamed. So you have this one thing you're very focused on and can do well, but you don't have that be at the expense of everything else, you know. Mm. Do you find that it's something that's had a sort of positive influence? I mean, when you decided to become, to sort of specialise in composition, did your interest sort of shift to composition quite easily? And were you able to focus very devotedly on that? It's funny, that was actually really difficult. Oh, interesting. Um, it was a very strange journey because I knew I wanted to compose, but no idea about style or what it was. I would sort of see documentaries of people I admired. Uh, actually, not very typical composers, people like Frank Zappa, writing, you know, on the big school paper, doing an orchestral piece and kind of going, oh, you know, and he's just imagining it all in his head or whatever and just finding that fascinating. And also at the same time, I was kind of, um, I had to give up any academic pursuits you know because I wasn't completely set on music I, I, I thought about pursuing something else mm. kind of alongside it and so I thought maybe if I kind of go in this direction it'll sort of um you know kill two birds with one stone it's still music but it's more um cerebral as well then but then I started the piano I was more interested in the piano but I kind of had to resign myself to the fact that I'd started too late to think of doing that um right. professionally uh, well and I was still dealing with the tendonitis as well um so it happened very very gradually and you know it's just painstakingly slow in the beginning you know still sort of um getting my sight reading together and everything and you know having to fight through a lot of negative self-talk going you know oh my gosh you're you know 19 or 20 years old or mm. whatever and still at this really basic level um but of course i had all the free time so you know i was able to, to focus on it quite intensely yeah and to build um, it up probably incredibly yeah. well clearly incredibly well and incredibly quickly if you were able to get into the guild hall yeah. oh, you is, know when I joined as a mature student and um I would have been what like 24 when I was alongside students who were 20 and looking at the work they were doing and then remembering yeah. what I was doing at 20 you know it just shows though that 
it doesn't, you know, if it takes longer for you to find the musical path for you, mm-hmm. that's all right. And I think that's actually what a lot of people with tendonitis struggle with a lot yeah. is, you know, and I've, I've suffered with it for about a year when I was mm-hmm. 17. And such a big part of that was questioning, you know, how can I keep music in my life if yeah, this yeah, might not go away, <laughs> you yes. know? Uh, that's such a difficult thing to come to terms with. Well, it, you, can, yeah, yeah, it threatens sorry. your whole identity. If you mm. go, you know, I am a guitarist, I am a cellist or whatever. Um, yeah. And that's how people know you. Yeah. Exactly, yeah, yeah. So do you find composition now, you know, what's your sort of process or style like? I'm, I'm in a weird place with that because I started working on electronic music um, a few years ago now. Um, and that was kind of... I, I got quite ill in 2018. I'd had a very difficult year and I had, um, I sometimes say it was a breakdown. I don't really know. It was somewhere between yeah. a breakdown and just kind of severe burnout. And I started the electronic music kind of as a therapeutic thing because I didn't need to be good at it. There was no expectation and it was just kind of messing around on the computer. Um, and then gradually that took over. And this is the problem with having special interests. I just, that was all I wanted to do. Mm. And even though I was quite ill, that became the thing. It was like sitting in front of the computer for eight hours a day, you know, when I meant to be convalescing. <laughs> um, <laughs> and then, you know, and then I didn't want to compose for a while because this was so new and exciting. And then, well, and then, then you become okay with that. And it's like, okay, now there's an expectation and I've got to keep improving. <laughs> yeah. So, um, well, I'm so glad I did it because it was another thing. I was going, oh, I'm 24. That's too late to start. And I thought, well, I'll still want to do it when I'm 30. So now it's what we get now. Um, anyway, so that that's kind of... Um, uh, that's now combined with the composition. And, um, well, I did an electroacoustic uh, piece earlier in the year that I really enjoyed doing. Um, and then I, well, I decided um, for my master's, I'm going to uh, now do a master's in electronic music. So, Agreed. yeah, I'm sort of, I'm not giving up composing, but I'm sort of, uh, yeah, trying to incorporate both. Uh, that's brilliant. So will that be, do you know where that's going to be yet? Or yeah, that's going to be a cult hall as well. Oh, amazing. So you have a place to be there from September yeah, still? Yeah. Oh, amazing. Congratulations. Thank you. That's so cool. It's really great that you, so did you, I'm trying to work out the maths. You discovered sort of your love for electronic music after you'd started Guild Hall. Is that yeah, right? Yeah, like two years oh, right. then, yeah. So it's amazing that you've been able to like, shift it and then now do your master's devoted to something you actually are really interested in that's just great yeah well not to say i'm not interested in composing Um, yeah 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 (laughs) um, yeah i mean i wasn't starting completely from scratch because playing electric guitar had done some kind of home recording stuff but um it's amazing and it always kind of shocks me the things that people discover in a time of kind of desolation or like mm. you know breakdown or whatever I mean it is such a cliche that like a breakdown is a breakthrough but <laughs> like it's so annoying because it is and that's the last thing you want to hear when you're going yeah. through it yeah. but it, it really is like you in so, so many ways I think I don't know if this is your experience but you kind of do discover the person you really want to be yeah no I mean that year yeah. was so important because I um I had the sleep disorder treated and went from, you know, two to three hours sleep a night for, you know, to actually kind of having a normal sleep pattern. Mm. And, I, and I had the, um, the autism diagnosis. So. Yeah. At the, at the time, I was just like, kind of like, oh, my God, you know, another year. <laughs> yeah. Um, um, and I'm, oh, God, now I'm not going to graduate till this age, you know, but, um, yeah, yeah, it was completely necessary. So. 
but all those kind of expectations of graduating by what age like that is just yeah. so classic like I hear I hear myself thinking that now because I'm putting off doing a master's I don't even know if I want to do a master's and <laughs> that's all the thoughts in my head are like oh I'm gonna be alongside all these like 23 year olds when I'm you know 26 or whatever and I'm gonna look so stupid and you know it's a real kind of fear but it's there's no real reason why no, I mean nobody else cares yeah <laughs> that's the thing you know it's sort of ego thing isn't it it's really weird yeah. it's really weird. I'd really like you know it's interesting I'd really like to talk about your sound sensitivity mm. because I not just because I deal with it too but I was just fascinated because I deal with it too because I um in actually only in the last few years as part of what I suffer with which is obsessive compulsive disorder I've developed misophonia have you heard of that oh yes yeah yeah so that is uh, an extreme sensitivity and hatred and anxiety towards certain sounds Mm. and actually part of the reason I'm not in London anymore is because I really couldn't deal with the incessant noise. Yeah, um, yeah. And I want to hear about how, you know, you've said you've dealt with that, you know, most of your life. Um, how, you know, how do you manage it? What does it look like for you? How does it feel for you, this sound sensitivity part of your autism? Sadly, that's something that, that has gotten worse as I've gotten older. Right. Because um, I, I developed tinnitus when I was 22. Um, oh, yeah. Which, yeah, well, you know, again, like traumatic at the time, and now it's just kind of, I mean, you do get used to it. I know it's a cliche, but you really do. Um, um, so that made things worse. And I started, you know, I'd be out on the high street and a bus would go by and I'd go, God, that was like, you know, that really actually hurt. Yeah. Um, it definitely has to the isolation of wanting to avoid um, mm-hmm. certain places. And, but, you know, I just kind of, um, just kind of like mentally prepare myself and then do whatever it was, you know, whether that's going to the pub or, um, but you know certain things. I don't think I've been to the cinema in probably seven or eight years because it's, I just can't deal with the, the volume. Um, mm. And you know every single concert I've been to, not classical, but anything else or um, clubbing or whatever, which I <laughs> haven't done particularly often. But um, you know I would always wear earplugs and just say, "Well, I'm sorry. You know I have tinnitus." And um, again, people rarely bring it up. And if they do, you just say, "Well, I, I have tinnitus. I have to wear earplugs." You know. Um, and that's the best advice I can I can give really. I started wearing these different earplugs now that are kind of um they're for people with tinnitus and they get a more discreet and you can wear them just when you go out and they, they um they're designed to strip me of certain harsh frequencies and I found that quite useful recently. Oh right. Um, and I use the one Zoom calls actually because sometimes if someone has a, a you know a cheap webcam microphone it can get quite grating. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, that's so interesting. That's so interesting. So how did you come across these earplugs is that something that you got done professionally or no um no they're, i mean they're, they're like 20 quid or something oh, i don't right. know if um, i don't want to offer them a free advertising or whatever maybe. Yeah. <laughs> um, um no a friend um who also has um tinnitus sadly quite severely um he recommended them to me and he was like wear them under your headphones for zoom calls that like it makes it so much um, easier um so yeah that's been a recent discovery oh, they're kind brilliant. of it's kind of a mixed bag because I can hear the tinnitus more clearly, <laughs> but my ears hurt less. So, yeah, um, yeah, you sort of just got to choose which one, yeah. which one you'd rather. Yeah, that's so interesting. And I mean, in terms of like, is that really helped with your kind of avoidance of things? 
a little bit, but because I've discovered it during lockdown, the opportunities to. I mean, yeah. I, I I wear like full on earplugs on the on the tube, you know, like yeah, ones that construction workers would put in their ears, you know, like minus thirty dB or whatever, because it's I'm just there going. I feel like my ears are being damaged, you know, yeah, and sort of looking around the carriage, thinking nobody else seems to mind that. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Do you have like specific sounds that are sort of more triggering than others, or is it just general loud sounds? Oh. Any kind of fire alarm or smoke alarm is just absolute torture. Mm. Um, of course, they are designed to be loud and annoying. So, <laughs> yeah, that was um, that was a real problem in student accommodation. With, um, oh, they're well, terrible because they're so yeah. good, but they're so bad because they're so well, good. Yeah, the fire were in every single bedroom, so it was literally like. Oh. So I'd get the um over the intercom. Oh, we're going to test the fire alarm now. I'd rush over to grab my earplugs and you know just. Oh. Yeah, that was quite stressful. Yeah, I just really, I can, you know, I mean, even sometimes thinking about it makes yeah, like yeah. makes you feel it. Like, oh, right, I get you. <laughs> yeah. I really relate to that. But it's so interesting to talk about because I don't think people, well, I think I didn't realise until I started dealing with it how isolating it can feel when mm. you have this physical pain. It's really hard to explain, but it is a physical pain yeah, or yeah. sort of absolute like it's almost as though I suppose I'd feel like the person making that not it was always like the person making this noise doesn't realize how horrific they're being like how awful it is like I used to remember my sister she has like a depop shop so she sells things online Mm -hmm. and one of my sounds that I just cannot deal with still is the sound of um what's it called masking tape like that brown tape being ripped and I every time she would rip it I'd feel like a piece of my soul was being (laughs) taken out of my body and it was literally like do you not realize how horrific you're being (laughs) it's so it's so weird how but like I think there are probably a lot of musicians as well who deal with it because we are so trained yeah yeah to listen intensely and I think it probably is a disorder or a part of a disorder that a lot of people suffer with because you do just listen extra hard. Yeah. <laughs> um, that's so interesting. So your future then now is looking towards, um, what's it called, electronic music. Yeah. Do you have a kind of vision beyond that at all or is that not something you're thinking about yet? Um it's quite specific, actually. And for a long time, I was going, I have no idea how I'm going to make a living as a composer, you know. Yeah. Um, um, I decided I'm probably going to specialise in music for video games, um, which um, I, I don't have much time to play games now, but that's something I was very much into when I was younger, so it's, it's nice to kind of see that's come full circle. Um, so I've been doing that for, for my second study this year. Um, and then on the electronic music course, there are different pathways you can you can choose and that's probably what I'm going to focus on um and probably look for internships maybe um from a year or so but I, I'm still fairly new to it so I'm, I'm you know still um uh, getting to grips with everything that's, um, that's the plan now wow. and alongside now I'm writing my and recording my own weird little songs and <laughs> trying to um which I'm just sharing with friends at the moment and I'm kind of going I'm gonna have to release something publicly eventually yes i think you should definitely (laughs) and share it with if you ever do please do share it and i will really enjoy listening to that because that sounds absolutely fascinating yeah 
because there it's is been a, a sorry. it's been a lovely um thing to take up actually during the lockdown and having the odd singing lesson online and um i think god i think that might be the one thing i found that actually helps with energy <laughs> really um, so, yeah singing if you're having a good day at least not when you're struggling with an exercise <laughs> you know, but um um yeah and well i'm, in, I'm living um alone at the moment um uh, uh matt gear who of course you you spoke to um oh yeah um he's my flatmate but he's not been uh, around but i've got the flat to myself and i can sort of sing and make stupid noises without <laughs> um worrying about anyone hearing so that's been um that's brilliant it's been a useful way to deal with the isolation because yeah. in london that's hard to come by <laughs> yeah somewhere um, where you can just sing i often really miss the, that the, the neighbors haven't complained yet so <laughs> <laughs> Oh, it's been absolutely, like, amazing to talk to you. Oh, More you. than I could ever have expected, really. I don't know why. <laughs> I was expect I didn't know what I was expecting, but it's just been amazing to hear about your experiences. And you've had, you know, you've been through so much, but, like, the wisdom you've brought from it all. And <laughs> it's just, thank you so much for talking to us, because I think, yeah, it's just really important that we heard all you had to say about your experience so thank you so much for sharing it oh thank you i'm glad it's been interesting it really yeah that's an understatement <laughs> it's been so interesting thank you so much thanks so much take care